The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here in a place so seedy. Enjoy! shoes away, you know. They're my little red shoes, and I don't want them to get be dirty. Red bird, soon in the morning, 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 cat got the red bird, soon in the morning, cat got the red bird.
Welcome back to the Third Men Podcast. I'm just going to jump right in. Welcome back to the Third Men Podcast, the Jack White History Program. I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. Paul, that's how we should start every episode right now, is just, this is the intro now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we're joined here. We don't normally bring people into this sacred pre-interview space. Let's call it the foyer, the podcast foyer. Uh, We don't normally bring people in here because it's got all of the good rugs and china out and there's plastic on all of the furniture to preserve it. And there are butterscotch candies in that dish over there. I'm really painting a mind picture for everyone. Yeah, it's the room that, as my wife would call it, holds all the pretty pretties. (laughs) <laughs> the pretty pretties the things you can't touch because if you touch them they'll break and you'll 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 go to you'll go to jail just a lot of cherubs many cherubs <laughs> yeah we'd like to welcome back to the program alex garaldi and jordan collins from copper sound pedals hey. alex and jordan welcome back thanks guys appreciate you having us again yeah happy to be back it's good to have you back so there's a new pedal i, I no, i'm kidding uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so when last you guys were on the show, we brought you on to talk about the new uh, triple graph pedal from Copper Sound Pedals, which is doing gangbusters over at Third Man Hardware. We're very happy and proud of you guys. So golf clap right yes, there. Yes, we'll yes. talk in a second. Thank a you very bit. much. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But today, just to introduce for everybody, so we're going to do an episode today with Alex and Jordan where we uh, have nothing to do with pedals. But we have some unique insight from their brains on the topic of the history of Jack White and color. So sort of a sound and color episode. And as people know, especially people who've been following Jack for a long time, he's the type of uh, artist that has a special relationship with color, almost in a branded sort of way. He's very acutely aware of image, not in a sort of the shallow sense of the word, but in the sense of providing a visual to go along with music. And Alex and Jordan are going to walk us through the history of that merging of sound and color Uh, on an episode I think we're calling Sound and Color. And we're delighted to go over this because we've talked about it a bunch on the show over the years and we've just never dedicated an episode to it before. Yeah, I am excited to talk about this in general. A lot of people have recommended a YouTube video that goes over this subject, Jack White's use of color. And um, I have to say, I have never watched it. So if we go over well-trodden territory, I apologize. I did, James. I did. did. And it's actually quite good. Oh, yes. good. Yeah. No, I've, I've been recommended it. I just, it's a YouTube video that people recommend. So I, naturally I avoid it. <laughs> 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 and it was from a crazy aunt during a family reunion. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. She was not let into the foyer. <laughs> it caused some problems. But yeah, it's a, it's an exciting topic. Well, at least a very prevalent theme throughout Jack's work and something that, uh, you know, we, like Paul said, have gone over. Yeah, so Alex, you actually brought this topic to the table. This was your idea, so thank you for that as well. So yeah, we're just really excited to dive in here. But before we do that, we're going to recap on all of the stuff that has happened in the world of Copper Sound Pedal since last we spoke. 
Let's talk a little bit about how the launch went, how it's been going in the shop. How stressed are you? How excited are you? How stoked are you? What has the pedal been doing? Give us all the details. When did we last speak, guys? Was it early September? No, wait. It was like August. Or was it? Oh, August. Yeah, sometime around August. Yeah, it was right? like August. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to get a timeline because Jordan and I were pretty good about last we spoke with all the podcast people about like oh it was oh, it was 2016 it was 2017 blah blah blah. Right. When we spoke with you guys, so yeah, it must have been August. It was about a month before they released the video, uh, the demo video. Because- yeah, that sounds right. I think the like end of August. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So that was about a month. So the release was September 28th. Mm-hmm. That day's burned in our head because Jordan did so many promo things. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> we drove down. Jordan and I loaded up a, a rental van, drove down. It was like an eighteen-hour drive down to Nashville from where we are, uh, south of Boston. And we drove down there in the rental van. We had like two hundred units boxed up, loaded, and we drove down there. And while we were driving down there, Jordan was working on teasers and stuff in the car, in like Illustrator, and we were working on stuff for social media. We had delivered those 200 units. We stayed at a hotel that was like right around the corner from Third Man, and we met up with them in the morning, dropped off 200 units, chatted with them just a little bit. After we had dropped off those units, Jordan and I drove around certain locations that we're very familiar with in Nashville. And we took some pictures because we were creating these teaser pictures for like a week straight before the release. And Jordan took pictures around Nashville. One of them actually had third man in it. And every time Jordan was like editing photos, he would do all these Nashville photos, black and white, and he would add touches of third man's yellow color and our like copper burnt orange color. And it was just as it would increasingly get close to the day, he would release a little bit more of like you could kind of see where it was. And people were guessing Nashville a little bit. There were a couple people I think that guessed because I think, you know, some people are just big fanboys, which is really great. And uh, we actually got word from... I think one of the girls there that Jack was following along and watching the teasers. Oh, fun. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That, that that's he, great. I, maybe from his upholstery account or something, I'm not sure. But it was really cool to hear that we do it as if they're going to all see it anyway. Sure. We thought it would be such a cool idea to just go around the area and kind of drop these little teasers. So, like, for example, from our hotel room, there was this parking lot across the street And I just took my kind of like zoom lens and took a photo of this parking spot that happened to have up and down arrows. And that kind of related to the pedal with some of the Mm -hmm. artwork and stuff. And on the parking spots, they were numbered and I would select like the number three in one of the spots and turn it yellow and just really (laughs) small things like that just to kind of lead up to the big release day. And it's really cool to hear that Jack was looking at him because I think by the time the release came out, everyone was like, all right, like, what are these things? Like, we don't understand what's going on. And, you know, luckily people thought it was a really successful launch and we did as well. So that was just one of the most fun trips that we had, you know, just driving down there and taking all those photos. It was it was a blast. Well, you guys have the right idea of acting as if they will watch what you're doing um me and paul kind of took the opposite approach and we created a turkey salesman so i really appreciate your your deft approach <laughs> you're very yeah. appropriate you guys did the did the smart good thing that you yeah. should do right anyway so jack was following from his black gadget that's very cool um, and then 
And then, yeah, that promo video. Oh my God, that thing was gorgeous. I don't know if I'm skipping ahead at all or if you want to keep going, but I just wanted to comment. My God, that thing was insane. Yeah, that was the first thing that they, well, they had technically a teaser, and I think we might have talked about this on this show or a different one, that they had a picture of him and Carla and Dominic outside of Third Man, and they played in the blue room because that's where they recorded it. But essentially, that was the first thing that, they saw you know they had maybe one teaser before but they didn't really want to like flood it if you will because it's not their platform isn't for just that it's for third man everything obviously so we were flooding it on our side and actually some of the material that they used were actually pictures and media stuff that jordan got over to uh megan at third man for their (laughs) thing so some of their pictures actually were jordan's which is really cool like the website photo of the triple graph is jordan's and he definitely didn't spend 500 hours and sweat over every angle (laughs) (laughs) well you know it's one of those things that once launch day comes the images are out you know all it takes is for one image to spread like wildfire so one of those things just wanted to make sure it was you know it was on point but um, yeah, we had a blast doing that. And I think the second photo that they released of the blue room actually had the triple graph in the right bottom hand corner. They played it very smart where they hit it in plain sight. It was very sneaky. It had people guessing. I saw p- some people were saying, you know, is it a pedal launch or something along those lines on, on Reddit? But they didn't play that angle up. You know, they definitely didn't. They w- gave you some of the hints that if you were really paying attention, you might have seen it, you know, and after. Uh, it was not too long after the launch that um, I was like, hey, Jordan, we got to get a whole thing of like, did you notice the clues? You know, like one of our teasers <laughs> even had like the uh, crossing, like the person walking crossing, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is from Help a Stranger, you know, and Jordan interjected the green color, which obviously we're going to get more into that type of thing. So, yeah, that brings us to kind of to the end of September. And then from there, we were just crazy in the shop building the rest of the 500 first units all the way through like October, November. I have to look at our spreadsheet of when we finished them, but it was literally, I was living Groundhog Day for about four <laughs> weeks where it was get to the shop, build as many as we can, rush out to my job, ship them out, get uh, the girls over at Third Man, like the shipping, the tracking numbers, come back to the shop, breathe for a sec, build some more through the night, go home, sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. Yeah. So for like for like three weeks, four weeks, I was going to my job where I only work one day a week, but I was going there every day to ship stuff out to them. I was like, okay, today we're going to get them 12 units. Tomorrow we're going to get them 24. Then we'll get them 36. Then another batch of 12. And like whatever we could get because they sold all of them. Essentially, we got an email too from Christina, right? Like, well, all of the regular. Yeah, she was like, well, good news, guys. They're pretty much all spoken for. And that's pretty much when our jaws hit the floor. Like, what? Really? (laughs) But, you know, it was just, it was amazing to see the turnout. You know, I think they played it amazing with that promo video. I remember when they first sent that over to us to just like fact check and to check out, I was like, this is like a a movie. Like, you know, it was one of those things where I was just, I was so happy with how they did it. Like, you know, they played for like three minutes through this thing and they highlighted all the features and, It was one of those things where, I mean, I'll usually have critiques about some stuff. I saw that and I was like, that's it. Like, it makes me want it.
you guys played a role in really one of the two bits of official Jack White music released in 2020. I mean, aside from the greatest hits, but yeah. But like new Jack White, like current Jack White new stuff, like that's it. There was two things and you guys were one of them. That's crazy. And and not only that, you were probably part of both of them because the Saturday Night Live thing, which I assume is what Paul's talking about as well. I think he used the triple graph on stage. Did he not? Yeah, it was, um, we got word from the girls that it was both songs. So (laughs) no way. Yeah. So (laughs) So you guys did it. You made 2020. (laughs) (laughs) You know, tried to put a bright spot on a more dim year. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, right. we hope you're proud of yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, that I, a lot of people, too. I got texts from people I hadn't talked to in years <laughs> because of SNL. You know, nice. the fact yeah. that they had been watching it and they saw it and it was really cool. Well, Jack's guitar tech actually had sent us over a picture of his pedal board and I have it framed down here in my little <laughs> studio. And That's it's awesome. so cool. Like he has all of the third man pedals on there. I think he has um a Big Muff and a Whammy. But it just it's kind of like the the monumental Jack White board. You know, it's just there's a lot of fuzz, a lot of octave, and yeah, we were just we we're so happy to be a part of it and you know, so grateful to them. It's kind of a kind of a crazy thing to think about. Nice. Yeah, uh, Alex and I were talking a little before the call just about when James and I spoke with Ben Blackwell on the 2020 year in review episode he had mentioned that you know third man has done pedals before but this was something special this was something big and it's just been moving like crazy and i think everybody over there has just been really thrilled with the success can you speak at all to um i know you said all of them were spoken for can you speak at all to perhaps the continued success of the triple graph and maybe what you're looking at in the future yeah, I, th- I think right now there's, I think we're building the next thousand units. Um, I know there's a lot of international interest and, in, you know, a lot of dealers want to pick it up and... Drug dealers? Who are you mixed up with, Jordan? <laughs> I don't know, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I think there's a there's a couple international ones. I've, I'm blanking on the names right now. I think... Um, yeah, there's some in Europe. We have our friends Peerless down in uh, Australia. Australia, yep. they've, already, they've they've even got pre-orders going already. Like yes. people have put their money, like take my money now. When it comes in, I'm ready. <laughs> well, I kid you not. Somebody, a friend of the show, Josh Aiken, actually texted me after seeing your guys' Instagram story that you were talking with us. He texted me. So how'd your interview with the triple graph guys go? <laughs> and when can I get another triple graph? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, we heard from a few listeners actually. It was Luke Sinclair too. I think got one. And yeah, he was so really it, happy with it as well. It oh, made wow. it, it made so an impact. Cool. Yeah, we recently saw something crazy that people have been selling them on eBay, the limited edition ones, for twenty five hundred dollars. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. So is it you? Is it you doing it? <laughs> <laughs> a couple of them are us. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we, I mean, we saw that and we're like, what? Th- that's insane to me. You know, but if you Amazing. tried putting McCartney three on it, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> one of, one of the units said, "As seen on SNL." <laughs> no way, <laughs> and also it's haunted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I took a screenshot of that, and I was like, "That's ridiculous." It certainly, that unit was certainly not used on the show. Number one, but 
you know, people will do anything to flip gear nowadays, especially with something like limited edition and certificate and stuff it, like it's that. It's literally but, sold out. You can't get it anywhere. Yeah. You know? I'm going to get one of those applause signs that you see at every like sitcom or whatever. And I'm going to say like, as used on SNL, because right. they use one of these, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, just good wow. good keywords good seo right yeah. third man actually sent one out to mark mothersbaugh who did all the music for rugrats yeah nice yeah. devo yeah all that wow. stuff wow yeah i saw there there was a an instagram thing with him using it it's nuts mhm so cool yeah well congratulations you guys incredible launch congratulations again you know thank we heard you, just a you. lot of great feedback from even you know listeners to the show who, who got it and enjoyed it and, and also who enjoyed hearing you on the third Ben podcast thank you again for you guys uh doing that that was awesome and um we're just really happy for you we're just really proud and also happy to continue to uh you know to have you back on the show here we hope this won't be the last time either we'll hopefully do a few more of these but um, we're ready to talk about colors yeah. Yeah. Are we ready? Should we do it? Should we dive in here? <laughs> I like all, all right. of them. Which yeah. ones do you like of Roy G. Biv? <laughs> <laughs> So Jack White and Color. So we're going to talk a lot about Jack here, but I thought just to open, I would give a little bit of a rundown of a, like a brief history of how musicians, a couple notable musicians, I picked three because Jack, but a couple, <laughs> you know, musicians or painters and vice versa have interacted with one another over the years and how sound and color has kind of a history that's been steeped in music for quite a while. But I'll start here with Jean-Auguste Dominique Angre. Did you just have a stroke? What well done. <laughs> Was there a delay in the audio? Uh, I've only ever known him as Angre. All that first part is all new to me. Uh, that's all I remember from art history. But uh, Angre was a, a painter, a French painter, who was alive from uh, 1780 to 1867. Really hung in there for... Uh, mm for those old dank times there. And uh, he was a neoclassicist painter who exaggerated forms in a way that wound up inspiring more modern and even commercial art. And some might point to comics. I think that's why Anger was a favorite of mine Mm. uh, because there's some, there's some exaggerated forms in that that's sort of creeping toward the, uh, the types of forms you see in what would become comics and commercial art, things like that. But Anger used his knowledge of music structure to inform his development and theories as a draftsman and painter, and he was close with composers Charles Gonad. 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 <laughs> I think Gonad. Charles Gonad and Franz Liszt, with whom he shared ideas and inspiration. So he's this groovy painter and sort of the uh, well, not really the renaissance or after the renaissance in that awesome baroque period where everything is super emo Mm -hmm. and he's hanging out with gonard and leitz here and they're they're exchanging ideas there's a quote from him which he used to tell his students if i could make musicians of all of you you would thereby profit as painters everything in nature is harmony a little too much or else too little disturbs the scale and makes a false note rightness of forms is like rightness of sounds and i think that's interesting because Angle is 
keying in on something and it, it's getting a little existential, a little sort of lectury for the purposes of this talk, but he's keying in on the idea that everything is basically waves, right? There's sound waves and light waves and they're all interacting in different ways. And when sound waves hit our eardrums, they interact in different ways. And when light waves bounce off of objects, they give us color in our eyes. So it is kind of all the same thing. And what this guy is saying is that if you can marry the two, you know, maybe you can have something even more special. Hmm. Huh. Well, that, A, boy, those art history flashcards you did in, in the New York City subway really, really <laughs> worked wonders. <laughs> and, um, and B... Uh, That's that, real. That's a real thing. <laughs> I, did. I remember them very clearly. Yeah. I think I helped you with those flashcards at some mm-hmm. point as a 13-year-old <laughs> or whatever. That makes sense. I mean, it is all just different forms of senses coming at you and uh, you're kind of absorbing it all in a certain way. And so if you see something replicated, you're going to recognize it. Um, And if it's kind of off just by a little bit, that'll show and it'll kind of make it seem off. It's kind of remarkable how much of life is just us perceiving different invisible blobs using the blobs in our own head blobs. (laughs) Like when you really think about it, <laughs> quote Paul. We've got the, Paul, <laughs> Paul just read this quote from from Ingve, and and now he's just like, it's crazy how blobs see blob blobs blob. No, no, <laughs> no but it, it's true. They got all this invisible shit flying around all everywhere, and the only reason we see it as sound or color is because it hit this thing that used to evolve from jellyfish eyes millions of years ago and these things i don't know where they came from it's some crazy though and that's the only reason we could see them so of course there'd be some connection because it's all just coming in through our own sensory perception so really all of art really all of existence is perception anyway so why wouldn't art and music be married i think i'm in a hole are you guys even on the call still (laughs) well i I don't i think your dealer yeah I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on a joke, and it goes, Paul Blob Art Cop. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I <laughs> love that. I'll take my uh, segue and segue on over here to our next uh, artist here, which is James McNeil Whistler. <laughs> known for, uh, of course, the Whistler's mother. Uh, Whistler uh, lived uh, from 1834 to 1903, and he took things a bit of a step forward from Angra actually linking musical and artistic theory in a thesis titled The Ten O'Clock Lecture, those ideas would basically become the foundation of a post-impressionist and abstract art movement, which would happen later on in the the 1900s and would evolve into the distill and neoplasticism movements. So now we actually start to get some direct Jack interaction here, but uh, Mm -hmm. Whistler was quoted as saying, nature contains the elements in color and form of all pictures as the keyboard contains the notes of all music. But the artist is born to pick and choose and group with science and knowledge these elements as the result may be beautiful, as the musician gathers his notes and forms his chords until he brings forth from chaos glorious harmony. So not only do we have the reference to Distill, which obviously has a history with Jack White, which we'll get to, but he does talk about bringing harmony from chaos, which... I don't know if Jack does that or maybe the opposite, but he certainly plays with the idea of chaos and navigating chaos. Well, doesn't he play one of his hollow bodies as a harmony guitar that he plays, he usually plays live with some chaos. So maybe there's your link. 
Yeah, yeah. true. Could be interesting. He really kind of embodies the 19th century ideal of making nature orderly, and I, I kind of appreciate <laughs> <You're right>. that. <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, not to belabor this, I'll bring it to the last artist here, but what I tried to do is just find people that kept kind of spinning it further and further to Jack. And this last one here, Wassily Kandinsky. Wassily? Wassily. Wascally Kandinsky. That, that wascally old Kandinsky, <laughs> uh, who was around from 1866 to 1944. Okay, now now it's when things start getting a little more direct. So Kandinsky is the founding father of, abst- one of the founding fathers, I should say, of abstract art, neoplasticism, and a contemporary of both Pierre Mondrian and Theo von Deutschberg, who are the founders of the Distill movement. Uh, which again, we made reference to listeners to the show at this point, I should mention, of course, there's a White Stripes album called Dish Still, which you know, and Jack and Meg in it play with a lot of the visuals from the Dish Still art movement. Back to Kandinsky here. Kandinsky sought to use abstracted painting to replicate the melodic, spiritual, and poetic power found in music. He was a follower of synchronism, which was the idea that color and sound are similar phenomenon and was fascinated by the notion of synesthesia, or the merging of two senses, particularly of sound and light. And this is via Wikipedia. Ah. The, early, the earliest recorded case of synesthesia is attributed to the Oxford University academic and philosopher John Locke, who in 1690 made a report about a blind man who said he experienced the color scarlet when he heard the sound of a trumpet. Now, I should oh. say... There is some dispute there over that John Locke quote, whether he was just being flowery with his language or it was a literal, actual thing. But synesthesia is a thing. In fact, I think it's come up on the show before, James, once or twice. I think it has. Also in joke form, we've definitely joked about it. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it is real. I feel like we talked about it with Bobby Harlow, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. Sounds right. But synesthesia is cool. Like synesthesia is literally the embodiment of what we're talking about today. It's like the merging of being two able things. To taste is, colors or yeah. you know, that's the see sounds. Yeah. That's that uh religion Tom Cruise is in, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a short man. <laughs> I'm a synesthesiologist. <laughs> I'm a synesth- I think there's a lot of songwriters that that claim to have this. It's yes. really where they draw inspiration. There's a lot I of, feel like there's some famous ones too. Totally. There's a lot of friends at art school who claimed they also had this, but I feel like most of that's bullshit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> However, it is real. It just fe- it felt like too many people at my art school were saying they had it and right. I was like this is it's just too many. It's just this seems wrong. So anyway. 75% of the class does not have synesthesia. Yeah, no, that doesn't make any <laughs> logical sense. Well, I'm going through a list on mental floss of artists who claim to have synesthesia, one of which is Tori Amos, hey. who, who claims to have unspecified synesthesia. Ooh, that's, <laughs> I hear something. It's not a sound. <laughs> Duke Ellington, who apparently had chromosthesia. I guess chromosthesia is a offshoot of synesthesia. He said, I hear a note by one of the fellows in the band and it's one color. I hear the same note played by someone else and it's a different color. When I hear sustained musical notes, I see just the same colors that you do, but I see them in textures. If Harry Carney is playing, 
D is dark blue burlap. If Johnny Hodges is playing, G becomes light blue satin. That's interesting. Huh. Wow. And I guess Chromosthesia has another famous uh, musician here claiming to have it. Billy Joel. Sir William Joel. Hmm. The man who sang about my town, Allentown. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. I'm looking up a couple more here. Oh, we got Pharrell Williams. I saw that one. He has it. With his big fun hat. (laughs) What colors is he seeing in there? (laughs) Our old friend Franz Liszt, who we talked about earlier, claimed to have had it. I was trying to remember where I remember this one from, but I think Phineas O'Connell has it. The um, Billy Eilish's brother. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Charlie XCX. Interesting. Van Gogh. Fascinating. Anyway, so that's like... The classical history stuff that is leading into like where we're gonna land here with Jack White and the history of his relationship to color. Now, we mentioned the distill and neoplasticism uh, art movements. Just to get into a little bit more detail about that, distill was a Dutch art movement also known as neoplasticism. So it's like Distill is kind of an offshoot of neoplasticism because I think neoplasticism just means new art. But they were basically, there was like founding fathers of the neoplasticists and Piet Mondrian was one of them. And I guess some of those others that I mentioned before were too. I was thinking of it in terms of like, it's like indie rock versus like indie hip hop. That's like the same kind of idea, but a different vibe sort of thing, I guess. I don't know. Listeners to the show will remember that Jim Diamond, producer of the first White Stripes album, the self-titled album, and a contributor to the Distill album himself, uh, was in a group called the Neoplastics, named after the Neoplasticism movement, which is interesting. It was used by artists and architects and advocated for pure abstraction and universality by a reduction to the essentials of form and color. They simplified their art to vertical and horizontal using only black white, and primary colors. Would you say they control the vertical and they control the horizontal? Perhaps. Mm. Also, plasticism comes from the Latin for molding. So they're molding, they're making the a new, new mold of, mm. of ah, nature. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like this is a lot of me talking, so please feel free to interject, everybody. No, this is cool. <laughs> um, Actually, you know, this is really interesting. It is like a weird art history masterclass, right? <laughs> I kind of love it. <laughs> I hit my ceiling at Paul Blort. <laughs> <laughs> I've maxed out on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mondrian wrote, as a pure representation of the human mind, art will express itself in an aesthetically purified, that is to say, abstract form, the new plastic idea cannot therefore take the form of a natural or concrete representation this new plastic idea will ignore the particulars of appearance that is to say natural form and color on the contrary it should find its expression in the abstraction of form and color that is to say in the straight line and the clearly defined primary color now primary colors are what jack uses or prefers to use in, primarily um, at, the, <laughs> at the very least in the mm. projects that are have him at the heart of them should i say mm. or him as the defining aspect of them mm-hmm. if that makes any sense i'll get into that more in a moment but there still was in large part a reaction and i found this interesting and it's kind of like 
a little depressing, but the Distill Movement was, I guess, a mostly a reaction to the devastation of World War One, where artists associated with the movement aimed to develop a universal language of art that could transcend different geographic and temporal boundaries and appealed to a broad cross-cultural international audience. Pure abstraction symbolizing peace and harmony was reached only through minimal essentials of line and shade. So what this says is that these guys went as simple and basic as possible, which served the purpose of touching people in a very basic, instinctual way, but also in a universal way. And I guess what I would say is that Jack's use of this kind of art form, maybe even his interest in it, taps into that universality, either by accident or on purpose, and helped make the White Stripes the type of mass market rock band that they became. It's probably what took other bands in Detroit, as well as the Stripes themselves, by surprise. The embrace of them was so universal. It was so, like, for a two-piece rock band from Detroit playing that kind of music at that time, it is kind of unusual that they gripped people in that way. But I guess part of it, you could say, was that universality. And one of the aspects of that was Jack's use of color. Right. The movement could reach audiences that didn't have to be educated or could have been childlike or whatever. You know, everybody can kind of appreciate that these are, you know, straight lines and blocks and they can understand what this is. Whether or not you think it's good or not is up for debate. I mean, I personally do. But, you know, and and the the White Stripes kind of went with that childlike philosophy of, of simplicity in their music as well as in their aesthetic. And that childlike philosophy was able to kind of reach a broad audience like Paul was saying it's kind of like um art in general has often been used especially during like the European like dark ages and and whatever to reach audiences who could not read so you would see you know you go to churches and you see these huge scenes that are kind of sculpted into cathedrals and everything and that's so that people can actually understand the stories that are being told because not not everybody can read so the art can really kind of transcend the man-made language into the other kinds of symbolic languages. And um, there's nothing more symbolic than than kind of distill. It's all symbols. It's nothing but, right. if, pardon the pun, distilled symbols. Hey! <laughs> well done. Thank you. <laughs> well, the singing, that you talk about church, and that's very Jackie too, but the singing too in church, right, is for the, to reach people on a basic level as well, yeah. you know? Partly, yeah. And it's, it's what sticks in your head, mm-hmm. just the same as the visual the thing I remember most from church is the songs, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I haven't been in church in a long time, but I remember the songs. Right. Because uh, songs can stick in your head. It's like a method of unity. You know, you kind of all kind of come together. And if you're some of the many synesthesiologists like Tom Cruise <laughs> out there, you'll probably hear the distill movement through these songs. So, <laughs> James, how are your thetans these days? Are they doing all right? They're great. I just want you to know I'm, just uh, they're great they're in a i think in a volcano is that something to do with it there's who can say look the last time i read dianetics was never and (laughs) (laughs) it's holding a door open somewhere (laughs) well i was offered a copy of it at a at the scientology center in manhattan that i went to as a joke on a date with my wife (laughs) we went there and just like hey this is interesting and somebody's like here's a book with a volcano on it and i'm like that's fun (laughs) And they're like, what other That's works awesome. by, by this man have you read? And I'm like, I don't know, some of the science fiction ones, they're like, none of it's fiction. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, person. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, that universality 
I mean, all of this is Jack-based, not the Scientology part, but the religion, certainly, because Jack's, you know, is a religious dude, very into his own Catholicism and spiritual beliefs. And yeah, I'm sure some of that rubbed off on him. I'm not sure, like, obviously that he had a fascination with the digital art movement. He had a fascination with the next thing I'm going to mention here, which is also a simple thing, but I wanted to just bring up Flat Duo Jets because... It's a bit of a stretch to say that they were making conscious color choices, I think, but they did boil things down to the essentials. And on some of their releases, there is kind of a black and white thing happening. The Third Man reissue of Go Go Harlem Baby, for example, had black and white split color vinyl. And I don't know if that's by accident. I mean, obviously there's Dex's guitar that is iconically black and white, but you know, it's that simplicity. It's that universality. It's those things that are touching Jack's mind in that tender late teens, early twenties time frame that I think is helping inform all these decisions. He just had the zeal, I think, to continue it forward where a lot of people might not. Yeah, he acts as an art director in his in his groups, and I think he sees all of these things through the eye of an artist, whether it be an upholsterer or a musician or what have you. He's He's trying to see all angles of whatever he's doing. Is that you in the blue? Is that you almost everywhere? I hope you find loneliness within whatever dark So we'll jump in here to the different uh, bands and errors of Jack that he has color-coded over the years. All of Jack's projects do get a unique color scheme, generally. Sometimes it's a little looser than others. And those colors tend to, in most cases, come in threes, because Jack... When discussing his fascination with the number three, the concept of three colors also came up. Quote, three can be translated in so many ways. There's the trinity in Christianity and objects in the world, a traffic light. A table can only have three legs and stand up. Or a wheel on a car can only have three nuts to hold it on. There's a definition about that. The biggest occurrence, in, and he's talking about the self-titled album, is in The Big Three Killed My Baby. It's three chords and three verses, and we accent threes together all throughout that. It was the number I always thought of as perfect, or our attempt at being perfect. Like a traffic light, you couldn't just have red and green. I work on sculptures too, and I always use three colors. I don't know, there is a feel to it. Everything we do, it just seems like the perfect connection, vocals, drums, and guitar. So I thought that was interesting too. Talk about being a sculpture, sculptist, sculptor, sculpture. Uh, using three colors in his sculptures. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Sculptology, uh, I think it is. Yes. <laughs> so Jack was so devoted to this idea of the three colors. Listeners to the show will remember that Jack and Meg were originally offered a record deal by Bobsled Records, but the negotiations broke down when Bobsled told them that their green label logo would need to appear on the album's spine. Green wasn't white, red, or black, so the band <laughs> walked away. Now... You could say that they really bobsled green thwarted them. <laughs> Gravy. 
some people, you know, they know they can't believe that James, James said all the <laughs> shit just said. You guys do this like every week or what? <laughs> Is this is this thing on? Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Here's <laughs> so what I think about the pure projects, and that's uh, I put pure in quotes. But let's talk about what the kinds of things he's calling here. So you get the pure Jack projects like the stripes, third man, or solo. They all get primary color treatment, mm-hmm. while projects that have more of a supergroup or a collaborative aspect can diverge from the primary colors. Now. That is me reading into it. That's not like something written down somewhere in somebody's mission statement or manifesto. But when you look at the colors, it does make sense. You have blue, yellow, red, and black and white interspersed throughout, and blue for solo, yellow for third man, and red for white stripes. When it comes to those three, I would argue, maybe, I think it makes some sense. I would argue that those three are the projects that he is the most directly involved in as the central force behind them. And therefore, those have the primary colors. That would be my my argument. I don't know if you guys feel differently. Debate, please. My argument would be that the White Stripes was an art project that he created and the red, white, and black scheme was a part of that art project. And since then... He thought, this is a great idea that I can attribute to other aspects of my life. I agree. I definitely, when I read this originally, when we were working on it, I thought that this was actually a good note on Paul's behalf that, you know, essentially when he's at the helm, it's these three primary colors. But then when he focuses on other projects that are intertwined with other people that might be getting close to sharing the songwriting duties or supergroup type aspect, he diverges into metallics and other colors mm-hmm. you know there's a whole thing i'm going to get into the spiel about green at some point but i think paul's on to something here it's no bobsled joke but i think <laughs> <laughs> i think i think he's on to something with the uh when jack diverges the colors do as well yeah that totally yeah. makes sense that's interesting because when you mix primaries yeah you get hey mm-hmm. the there you the, go the color changes S- secondary and, and tertiary right now I'm throwing this out there because with dodge and burn I mean dead weather has a little bit of purple in there that's so, that's true yeah so that's I don't know but yep. those are the tricky ones and yes. and we'll so we'll we'll get to those in just a second I just have one more looks like one more bullet here before we dive into the different bands and we'll talk about the different bands and their colors in more detail but the video James you mentioned a polyphonic video that on its surface seems kind of basic, but I actually found quite insightful. Mm. They don't say the other insightful thing I said. I'm going to take that and <laughs> keep it for me because Alex said it, that I might be onto something. I'm going to hold on to that. But they do point out, and I found this particularly interesting, they point out in that video that it's common for major corporations to use color to establish brand identity, which that doesn't seem terribly insightful. But... Mm-hmm. Yellow and red at McDonald's, green and white for Starbucks, blue and white for Facebook, etc. It's uncommon in pop music or for artists to brand themselves in the same way. That I found insightful. The Uh corporations do that all the time. Those color schemes are very ingrained. But when it gets to a pop star, typically what you find is like, this album has a color scheme, if you're lucky. Like if if the musician is thinking in those terms, Uh like... This album maybe has a color scheme, or this. I think that you even you, like a song. I think or you see that div, uh, broken up by artists, album to album. Like you can go on any of your uh, platforms, Spotify, all those type of things, and 
you'll see all the albums from a band if you're clicking on like their profile. Then you'll also see the singles and stuff like that, which is usually just like the title of the single and everything, and there's artwork for it. And you'll see that you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was a single. And you see it, and you're like, oh, that's the font they used on this album, or the color scheme they used on this album. You're like, oh, they took that idea and went along with it and exploded that into their singles catalog and mm-hmm. that type of stuff. And throughout like year X to year Y, they kept that color and branding and that font. And then when they came out with the next record, they didn't keep doing that. They had a new mm-hmm. clean font. And then the next one, they did a handwritten font. And you could always kind of tell it that way. You know, a lot of bands are really good at that. Or even with concept albums. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you'll definitely see some people stick to certain things and kind of box themselves in where they won't kind of go out of the box, so to speak. They'll stick to a couple of colors or they'll stick to, you know, a couple different key elements. Mm-hmm. I think it also really goes to what the artist intends the product to be, because Jack is intending the white stripes to be the product. And I use the white stripes in this instance because that's the most color coordinated, as we've mentioned, but as opposed to a band having a style guide for an album and then changing the style guide for the next album. I mean, there's obviously a style guide for a band, you know, they'll have their logo or whatever. But Mm -hmm. aside from that, Jack sees the band as, you know, you can't deviate at all from that style guide Mm -hmm. of the band. So, the you know, everything's going to kind of bleed from that into what you make, which is a kind of next level thinking. Cause like you were saying, you know, it changes from album to album with most artists, you know, you'll still get the logo, but everything else is its own unique product. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas this is a, a series of products. Like you can go to Best Buy and you see all of the white stripes albums. I don't know why I use Best Buy in this, but whatever. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But you see all of their albums and you can go, well, that's a set. That's a set of albums. Mm -hmm. But if you look at any other band out there, for the most part, you'll be like, well, these all look vastly different. Even like the Beatles, like Mm -hmm. every album looks so drastically different. It's kind of all over the place. Yeah. Each album has its identity and it's inside that album. It expands on that identity. And with the White Stripes, it was kind of like the identity is the discography itself. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, they're yeah. not separating each album. Mm-hmm. Cre- essentially they were creating a box set from album one, <laughs> you know, right. they, they kept that theme going. It also separates the idea that this is a unique thing that you should be concentrating on like this particular style. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted you to concentrate on the music and kind of realize that this is just the stripes the visual aspect is at once removed from the equation by making it all the same, but also put in the forefront of the equation by making it all the same. And that's what that polyphonic video does so well is they really equate it to like McDonald's. When I see a yellow M on top of a red square, I think about French fries and hamburgers. (laughs) Now that's the merging of senses right there. That's what corporations know to do. And they know to keep that branding as consistent as possible because they're trying to build those sensory links for everybody in a universal kind of way. It goes back to what we were saying about merging the senses and making this universal thing to, and in some, in the case of corporations, it's to sell you something. In the case of Jack, I think in the case of Jack, you could also make the argument it's to sell you something, I guess, at the end of the day, but it's also for sort of an artistic pursuit of like truth, you know, because that's, 
really at the basis of what I think he's going after is like, he wants to talk to you. He wants to show you. So he wants to play you this music and he's trying to uh, do it in a simple and um, a relatable way as possible. Yes. Yeah. And McDonald's makes their, all their happy meal toys out of neoplastics. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. uh-huh. Thank you, James. Uh, they use a quote in that video from dwell where I don't know what dwell is. It sounds ominous. That's where Jack says, I think the newer generation especially needs to see music. They need to see it in front of them as well as hear it. If my brothers hadn't put albums in front of me when I was a kid, I wouldn't have known anything about them. And that goes to Alex, what you were just talking about with them, mm-hmm. the, uh, the visuals associated with different albums. But we'll move from there into the different groups. We'll finally get into it. So we've been talking about this a little bit already, but Copper Sound fellas, why don't you take us into the White Stripes, Red, White, and Black. So, the White Stripes. Drum roll. They use red, white, and black. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, All right. Thank you very yes. much, Captain. Guys, good night. And now that you've fallen asleep at the wheel, peppermint <laughs> candy colors are often seen uh, primarily on Meg's resonant heads, I believe, on her drum kit. You know, yes. usually if you see uh, those in videos and live. For the White Stripes, all their instruments, the live equipment, the merch, the album artwork, as we previously mentioned, stick to those three colors. Even down to the mic cable. Yes, down to the cable, like meticulous. As we mentioned, the drum heads are adorned with the peppermint pattern. We might have got to see those. Yes, we did. (laughs) We did at some point see those. We are very Excellent. we are very spoiled. Yes. Um, <laughs> we had m- mentioned previously on our last episode to a little bit about Jack's gear, but for the White Stripes, Jack's gear from his airline all the way to his Gretsch Rancher keep the theme. Jack is uh, well known for playing a select group of pedals in the White Stripes, Electroharmonics Big Muff Pie, which is version 9 referred to as the NYC reissue, the MXR Microamp, and the Digitech Whammy, all red, white, and black pedals. And you got to wonder if he was like in a shop one day going like, man, that pedal sounds good, but I hate that it's purple. Yeah. I can't do it. <laughs> we can't do it. No sale. Uh, you know, and um, the other thing too, any add-ons or substitutions consisted of the Electronics Pog, which is silver and red. Blue Orchid was actually the first song to ever be recorded with that pedal. Came out. Huh. Obviously, for uh, oh, that's right. Get behind me, Satan. Two thousand five. Did we talk? Did we talk about a, that? On I think a little bit. A little? Um, yeah. The Boss TU two, which is a tuning pedal for his board, that's all white. Electroharmonics have a Big Muff Pie with Tone Wicker, which is also white, and um, his pedal board, like junction box, specialty things, are usually done by Analog Man, and they'll all be red. Really keeping to that theme hard. Yeah. Even like his monitor covers and stuff live, they'll put a cover over the monitor. The Racks did one in copper. Yeah, we saw a couple of those when we were in Boston, but also when they launched the auction, Mm -hmm. they were auctioning off some of the monitor covers that were all red, which is Mm -hmm. (laughs) really just goes back to that branding thing. You know, it's really cool to see that cohesive effort all come together. There's also the triple tremolo 
I don't know what the hell that thing does. Actually, I think it's been explained to me a number of times, and I, I pretty don't sure know. it's just I've a never speaker. Yeah, <laughs> with a gear in it that moves the thing. I don't know. There's is it musical? I don't know what it is. It was on David Letterman. Did he try and f- it? I don't know. <laughs> it's <laughs> wow. Jack, we know you listened to the last episode, but <laughs> did David Letterman try to f- your triple tremolo? <laughs> Uh, anyway oh jesus so this would be uh via terry f- terry gross fresh terry gross fresh air interview in 2005 white stripes origins jack was playing in an attic and they played moonish daydream by david bowie i have a recording of that it felt very good off the bat Her childishness behind the drums gave it a new energy. We're male and female as well, which gave that a whole new element. Gave me an excuse to be white and play the blues. I was using (laughs) an excuse that was close to my heart. The color scheme was a distraction to prevent people from noticing I was white. Jack told Rolling Stone, they have the most powerful color combination of all time, from Coca-Cola up to the Nazi banner. Those, col- those colors strike chords with people. In Japan, they're honorable colors. When you see a bride in a white gown, you immediately see innocence in that. Red is anger and passion. It's also sexual. Ooh. And black is the absence of all that. Now, yeah. black is the one color they kind of don't mention, and I think it's for that fact, is that hmm. black is a part of their color scheme, but it's because it's not a color, really. It's... Kind of the but least the prominent color, yeah. But they use white, which is also technically not a color. So it's it's odd that they never kind of mention black in their trinity of colors. Part of me wonders if it's the it's a weird thing because in light, white is all the colors and black is the absence. But in right. art, black is all the colors and white is the absence. Right. So I wonder wow. if there's something there. That might be the smartest I'm going to sound today. <laughs> In the shop, we call him Dr. Colors. <laughs> That's not a It joke. is two sides of the same color, though. Like, it's two sides of the same hue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've, you've got the saturation levels are just kind of moving up and down on it, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, red is always red and... Black is kind of just plays a part in a lot of these things, and they don't mention it as often as, as the red and white. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the, it's the peppermint thing yeah. that Alex was saying. You know, there's no black in the peppermint, and so the peppermint is a bigger part of it. So I would argue, you know, like they, there's a bigger role there to be played for red and white. But, you know, what all this got me thinking of, too, was the Fell in Love with a Girl video, you know, and those Legos. And that's the video that really turned most people on to the stripes. And you know what? It pl- if there was ever one video of theirs <laughs> that, that was the most directly connected to what we're talking about here today, it's that video because it's simple shapes. It's b- broken down form, abstracted form. And so if there was ever a mission statement for the damn band, it's that video. And maybe that's what, you know, there's a universal appeal to that video. And maybe people thought, oh, haha, Legos on the surface. But maybe underneath, maybe 
subconsciously, this is me sort of armchair psychoanalyzing the masses, which is not really fair to do, but maybe, whatever, I have a podcast, I can say anything. Now, to be fair, they also <laughs> use yellow and The symbols blue. are yellow. Yeah, and the background is blue, but still primaries. All primary. Those are yeah. those Legos are at the Third Man storefront in Asheville, too. Which yeah. is wild, yeah. Uh, I stepped on it, it hurt my foot. <laughs> can i just mention i know we don't we, we've talked about this video before but the rotoscoped lego lips uh, in that video where you could see jack singing in lego form where they just kind of rotoscoped the lips out of lego it's bizarre yeah and uh, gotta see them lips <laughs> gotta see those lips that'll be it. our show subtitle today rotoscoped lego lips <laughs> <laughs> So that's a very clearly defined series of colors for that band. I guess we'll move on here. Alex and Jordan, do you want to talk a little bit about the Tours? A more of a complicated set of colors on these on these broken boys. I yeah. <laughs> I added a lot to this part. Good. This is, the <laughs> this yeah, this the is Alex's passion project right here. Yeah. This section. <laughs> do it. This is the one that I'm least well, I guess yeah, this is I yes. This is the one that I'm least confident I could tell you, like, definitively what their set colors are. Like, I think I know. I think I know what some of them are, but go for it. Let's hear it. Oh, yellow sun is shining in the afternoon. I'd really like to see you, but I feel it's too soon. My actions are dictated by the phase of the moon. The phase of the moon. The sun is hiding when it sets on you. All right, this is, I'm going to have a piece here kind of like you, Paul, where you're getting into the whole divergence from primary. I have a theory on the color green for this band. So let's go to the top. We've got noted here that the Raconteurs is the use of copper, black, and green. And you had written that, Paul, and I think it's true. Because this is definitely a project that uh, diverges from the original form of your primary red, yellow, and blue. When I think the raconteurs, and maybe a lot of people listening will agree, I think the color copper. You know, or uh, in the metallic world, copper here. The introduction of copper was immediate for the project. On their first record from 06, Broken Boy Soldiers cover art featured the band's calligraphy style font in copper. There was also a pressing of Broken Boy Soldier in copper. I do not have that, unfortunately. Christina, if you're listening and you can find one, you want to send it my way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Now, here's where my theory comes in for that. They did a single for, obviously, people know Steady As She Goes is one of their big songs, or probably to the date still their biggest even they had a music video where Jack was actually yeah. the copper kid and he, they were racing down for one of the videos. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. It includes uh, one Pee Wee Herman. Paul Rubens is in it. Paul Rubens. Yeah. They have a single for it, which I have in my collection and the steady as you go single, which has the Bane rendition as the B side that has on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe people not driving can look this up, but the single for that has the four band members, I think it's kind of like got a um, time-based thing going on where like you can see the members moving to two different two different type of things if you guys can look it up. Yes. There is – yeah, there is that green color 
in that single. So they're you there it's almost that like a little oh, bit yeah. of like a neony, yeah. not quite like slime time live as Jordan would call it green, <laughs> but it does have like it takes on like a little bit of like a neon <laughs> Kelly, if you will. So that's where I think that that green comes from, and we'll find it back in 2019. So anyway, going forward for Jack's live rig, he kept a lot of his staple pedals and added some new ones. However, this time around, we see his entire pedal board decked out in copper, which kind of became at the time a big thing on the internet when people were looking up Jack's gear and all of his little doodads and gadgets and whatnots. Yeah. Pedals that aren't normally colored that color were turned into copper. So like, as I mentioned before with the white stripes, all this stuff was red, white, and black on his board, but those pedals, they came like that. Yeah. Just out of the box. They were that color. (laughs) So when Jack, when Jack grabbed a pedal that was red for this tour, they were rehoused and refinished in copper. You can also find live clips where green lights are used. When I was doing some of this research, I could, I found some clips from like the consolers era where you'd see on like the back of the, the members, you'd see those green lights, which they use, primarily in um, the Help a Stranger tour. So pressing on, we also see a Gretsch triple jet in uh, all copper. So that's uh, Gretsch is the company, the guitar company and drum company that makes uh, a lot of the guitars that Jack used for this project. This one was custom made by luthier Randy Parsons. If I recall correctly, I heard a story that Jack had another copper guitar made and even the frets which are the pieces of metal on the fingerboard were copper however copper is a much softer (laughs) than standard guitar fret wire and the story goes that the frets only lasted a show or two which you wouldn't (laughs) be surprised with jack you know (laughs) he could break a bowling ball so that's the folklore behind that really cool really cool guitar so here's another rack's history pre help a stranger he also has the gretch triple green machine i was hoping you would mention the green machine yes yeah. it's all you can also see it in um what does he call it the guitar movie uh, <laughs> it might get loud <laughs> that's right that's right uh it appears during um the racks the guitar was a single cut that randy parsons the luthier for the other one made into a double cut Jack also had Randy install a Shure 520DX harmonica microphone into the guitar and attached to a retractable spool, which you could kind of like, if you think of like um, a cord on like a vacuum that you could like pull and it would retract like itself into there. Yeah. And you could see him some live performances using that. Now here's another note. The 520 is also commonly referred to in the gear world as the green bullet. So Wild. again, green comes up in his green machine guitar. Until you brought these up, I had no real conception that green played this much of a role in their scheme before. This is a passion um, project, Stranger. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I'm, I'm really shocked because now that you say it, I'm seeing it everywhere. I have and I'm like, pictures in my basement with like twine intertouching different I love it. pins. Yeah. Like an investigation. Yes. <laughs> you understand? I'm going to go scour my record collection after this. And, yeah. and uh, This should be a yeah. thing for your listeners. Like they post pictures online, find the green or the raconteur's yeah. green is the tag. And like, here's all the times green was used. <laughs> I love that. It's been his long con. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, uh, so, cool. yeah, back to the racks, which, again, we're well, talking a lot about green, but we're going to get back to copper here for a little bit, too. So, speaking of mics, Jack would also tour with another lo-fi mic because the green bullet is a lo-fi harmonica mic. 
he would tour with another lo-fi mic set up above his amp. You can see this in stuff like Live from Glastonbury. You can also see it in From the Basement that they did during Hmm. the Consolers era, where they did technically four songs. This is the copper phone from Placid Audio. We were actually, I was fortunate enough to meet Mark who made this for them and, well, made the copper phone at uh, one of our conventions before. Really nice nice. guy. They make awesome stuff. Yeah, this is the microphone that shut down the Dallas airport because I thought it was a pipe bomb. Oh, If you guys remember that. I feel like (laughs) you guys talked about that before as well. So this microphone runs through the ZVEX, which is a company up in uh, Minnesota by Zachary Vex. This runs through the ZVEX Tremolo Probe to act as a kill switch for vocals. The Tremolo. Yes. Probe. Tremolo. The letterman. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Keep it up and you're going to have to go to the corner with the, with the dunce hat on. <laughs> uh the probe series from Zvex all feature. <laughs> Wait, last time you guys were on, we laughed for a solid five minutes about Big Muff Pie, and now we're yeah. laughing about the probe series. And I'm very apologetic. There's also a green pedal called the Swollen Pickle in our <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, our little corner of the world where people get a little tongue in cheek. Totally, yeah. you know, oh, man, or pickle in mouth. It's just kind of it's it's guitar pedals. People don't take themselves too seriously, and it's all in good fun. Sure. Yes. So anyway, back to probing. The uh, <laughs> this is another thing that you, you got to wonder if Jack liked it because of the aesthetic here more than anything else. The Probe series from Zvex, all of their series in the Probe feature a copper plate on the face of them and act in a similar way to a theremin. So it's, ah. so if you get your hand, if when Jack gets his hand close, the effect will be different as opposed to how far away it is. So it's, sure. it's a pretty cool effect. That's awesome. That theremin stuff, all that is magic to me. I don't understand right? any of that, but it's awesome. <laughs> One of his guitars has it in it. It might be the green machine. I, I, I failed on that part. We're calling it. So Consolers saw, pr- going on to the album, so as we mentioned with um, Broken Boy Soldier, you saw that calligraphy style, which was in that metallic copper. Consolers saw pretty much no color in the album artwork department. Pretty much black and white was king here. Inside, like, everything was black and white on this record. The 10-year anniversary Vault Edition, which I'm fortunate enough to have, actually saw the album with copper accents placed yes. on the album arc. You guys, I'm sure, remember that. I think it was Vault number 38. Yeah, I'm happy you mentioned that because when you were saying the bit about no color, I'm thinking like, no, that had color on it. But no, I'm literally just thinking of the vault. Yeah. And it's interesting that they went in and added that after the fact, almost to double down on the copper thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, when I think back to that album, it's so weird. Like, in my head, I go, is it black and white or is it like a sepia type, you know, like that yeah. almost that sepia type finish? Depending on where right. you see it online, it'll be sepia. Some will be black and white. By the way, the, the Green Machine did have a light-activated theremin. There you go. Jesus so it wasn't no. the Green Machine. This guy's... Somehow he He's on it. A, he want to do a pedal with us. <laughs> so, Sight uh, and sound. Synesthesiastic. That's yes. right. Save me, Tom Cruise. <laughs> wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, TM, TM, TM. Synesthesia. <laughs> Synesthesia. That's there, right. There you go. He got it. That's the ne- his, That's his next damn album. <laughs> Have Lily May drop that over dinner, and you've got an album on your hands, mister. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So my synesthesia. <laughs> uh, rounding off for the racks in the color department here. Help a stranger saw the start of using green in the racks color scheme. And again, with my theory, seeing it more like prominent. Um, oh my God! This next sentence you're going to read is blowing my f- <laughs> mind. Right. <laughs> Okay. It makes too much sense. <laughs> All right. It's like stupid amount of sense. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so when copper ages, it turns ah! a bluish green. Maybe there's ah! maybe there's something there. Help a stranger was 13 years after Broken Boy Soldiers. Perhaps the band see themselves as aged or seasoned now. How do you like that, Mr. Kaminsky? Mind blowing. That is like, like the Statue of Liberty. Of course, of course. That <laughs> now I don't know if that's a happy accident or on purpose, but either way, that <laughs> is real. Now, to be fair, I just looked it up on Google, and who knows what if this is right? But uh, it takes about twenty years for that patina to build up. So not if you, not if you sweat like Jack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, James. Yes, Paul. Hey, shut up. <laughs> Go play with that that spinny thing that Letterman I'm, tried to fornicate with. I'm going to go play with my friend Bobsled Green Dwart. Bobsled Dwart. Here, take this Letterman <laughs> box. <laughs> he said fuzz box. There'll be a lot of bleeps on this one. I'm happy yeah, to be here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't say that it's been that great. No, in fact, it's been a wasted Wow, I am aghast. Yeah, Alex certainly did his homework. When I was reading through this, I was like, wow, is there, there is a whole history lesson here. And yeah. So, I mean, this is really going to impress the ladies, but I didn't have to look up a lot of that. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> it's all up here as he points to the triple tremolo. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. That was a revelation. That brings us to the one I did the uh, least research and put the least effort into it's just the dead weather because i'm not sure their color scheme is all that set i know james you had mentioned some insights earlier but they're mostly like black and gray and then like sometimes there's a third element to it like i would say yellow yellow sometimes yellow is the more prevalent color that kind of seeps into dead weather projects so you'll see it on the singles like the um the Dodge and Burn That's singles true. that were released, yeah. mostly yellow hues. And then the, the vinyl they were pressed on was also yellow. In the live at the Mayan vault release, that's a yellow hue on top of the Dead Weather you know, album there. Fair. So you, you do see yellow quite a bit. And then Sea of Cowards obviously has a lot of yellow kind of... I think that's when they really kind of went all in on the yellow was with Sea of Cowards. I think Whorehound, they were wishy-washy on it a bit. But you do see it on Whorehound. There's there's a little bit of yellow in there. And then purple starts to creep in, which is the opposite color of yellow in there. So it makes sense because purple starts to creep in and dodge and burn. 
and you notice it in bits and pieces, kind of on the dodge and burn marketing. You'll see it on some of the merchandise and some of the, the on the obviously the album uh, artwork itself. So, and you know, if you let yellow age for twenty years, it turns purple. <laughs> Good try. Well, well wait, 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 just a second. Doesn't iodine turn? No, iodine turns brown. <laughs> I'm like starting to feel like I want to invest a bunch of time into color theory YouTube videos and stuff to get to the bottom of what that connection is. And like we were saying, you know, adding an extra element, other artists into things, you mix colors, you get non-primaries. So you have the yellow in there, but you mix other colors in there and you get, you know, a, a non-primary. Obviously you don't mix yellow with anything to get purple, but you get right. where I'm coming from. Well, let me, let me, let me hit you with this then, because you with this yellow argument here is uh, you're making a very convincing argument. The thing that is holding me back from being like, yes, that's definitely the thing it is, is the fact that Third Man Records incorporates now, yellow. Now take now, this, Alex. Take this first. I, are you going to see the yellow and white versus the yellow and black? I, no, I'm going to say that Dead Weather is intrinsically linked with Third Man Records as an institution. Because Third Man Records was opened yeah, with sure. the dead weather. 2009. I do actually, going off what James was saying, since 2009, I think what they spend Blackwell was saying that in 2009, Jack opened Third Man Records, formed, recorded, and released Whorehound. It was like a very yeah, fast thing yeah. coming off the heels of like uh, Consolers and the Kills doing stuff. I do have a link here. I don't know if you guys thought about I just thought about it. From 2008's Consolers, the next album that Jack did was Whorehound, and both of those albums are pretty much all black and white. So, ba- so yeah. two in a row, because it was 2009 had the break where they opened that. So those two albums back-to-back are pretty much devoid of color. Unless you're talking about the Vault release, which does have copper on it. Well, let, let, me, let me hit you with this. The White Stripes broke up in that time frame was and this is me really reading into it, but I guess that's what we do, is the absence of color, Jack feeling the absence of color, you know, in the sense that the old idea of the red, white, and black was gone. Like, is he thinking about that? I mean, I don't know. I At that point, I think that's a bit of a stretch, but I I don't know. I There's something to that, I think, maybe, and just in the sense that it was a particularly dark time because we, as we talked about in our Lost White Stripes episode, it wasn't just Meg going through like the anxiety problems, like Jack was going through some at that time as well. And I would contend that if it was a plan to open Third Man, if there was going to be a plan, like the thing to open Third Man with would have been a White Stripes record. A new White Stripes record is the thing that logically opens a Third Man records, but Jack didn't have one this dead weather project fell in his lap in the sense that it was happenstance. Not that he just like it happened, but like he, he obviously he willed it to happen, but it wasn't a, a plan. It just was the thing that showed up and that's what he ran with. Now, if we're playing Calvin ball with this, I mean, you guys said Jack was quoted as saying red is the color of passion. Maybe his passion uh, was gone. And so he yeah. was just, just white and black. Yeah. At that it, point. It, it's, it's definitely worth exploring. I think there's something there. Was there was there a Bill Watterson reference you just put in there, James? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. <laughs> my, my my favorite cartoon ever. Ah, yes. Fantastic. Well, since we started talking about Third Man with the yellow, white, and black, I wanted to mention on the topic of that uh, artist, 
Art Tidwell, which we did make reference to this in one of our episodes, was responsible for uh, for the painting and the design of the Nashville and Detroit mm. Third Man Records storefronts following that color scheme, I assume at Jack's behest. But Alex, it looks like you found something additional here. Yeah, this is something that I had reached out to Katie at Third Man and uh, Ben Blackwell had also um, got back to us because Jordan and I were talking about it, I think, before this episode. And we were going through some pictures that he had taken of our times there. We had received a tour, I want to say it was 20... I think it was 2018. 2018 or so, yeah. And they were walking us around, and each wall, north, south, east, and west, each wall in Third Man Nashville is painted a certain color. And it's either red, blue, yellow, or black. So those are the four colors that it's made. So each wall that faces a certain direction is painted a specific color that allows you to follow it, essentially. So if you saw, if you were <laughs> like, I want to know where the, where's the blue room? Any wall that is facing towards the blue room would be blue. From uh, Katie, she wrote that blue is west because the blue room is on the west side of the building. Yellow is for south. Red is for east. And black is for north. The only tidbit that Ben Blackwell added after is green is supposed to mean storage. (laughs) So if you're in Jack's office... The blue room is on one of the sides of his office, and that wall would be blue. The side that goes towards, I think Jordan and I looked at our pictures, the side that goes towards the storefront, any of those walls that go towards the storefront are all yellow. Any that go towards the street are black. Any that go to the blue room is blue, and any that go to the warehouse is red. So essentially, if you were in there and you're like, i got to get to the warehouse, you just follow the walls that are red. And there's a term for this. We, we they act, told yeah. us while while we were on the tour, but we can't remember the yeah. term for it. Yeah, maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might have been the official term. So yeah, yeah it was just kind of a cool amazing. thing. If you were to like, say, you lost your glasses and you were put your hand on the wall and you could see the color of the wall, so to speak, and you were following it along, you know which way you're going. You know, you could find your way to the blue room, if you will. Um, which I thought yeah. was kind kind of a cool like neat thing. And when Jordan and I were looking through our pictures, we're like, holy crap, now we know where in the store that is other than from memory. You could be like, Oh, that's red. So that's definitely facing that way, you know, which is kind of just such a cool idea. Yeah. They're very good at crafting ways to help the, whether it be person lost in a warehouse or whatever, they're They're very good at, at, at crafting ways to help people, find what they're looking for absolutely yeah. without necessarily adding a language in there you exactly know, it's very visual yeah whether it be in music whether it be in art whether it be in in their branding or in their buildings you know i know we'll, we'll get into it in a second but you know you have the blue series the greens they're very good at at helping people focus and find what they need to find yeah that's that's Branding, right? That's just what marketing is. I've mm-hmm. mentioned this to, I think, the guys in the shop, and I've mentioned it to a buddy I work with at a, I worked with at a warehouse, and I was like, the main ways to categorize something, if you're like, say, in a warehouse, and you want to try to file things, the main ways are with letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. You know, those are like four of the main ways to categorize something and organize it. Now, I would say. You know, color, there's limitations because you don't have all these letters and numbers, but color is the fastest way, I would say, you know, because if you say you had a 
shelf where you're organizing parts where you've got like 15 parts or so and you need to go over and you have to grab something, depending on the size, obviously, having a letter or a number or shape might be harder to see at a distance because you're like, is that an L or is that an I? Whereas you know if it's red or if it's blue, generally speaking. And it translates to a distance better. You know, like, oh, go over to the green area and you'll find the thing that you need. Whereas instead of saying F17J, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. And then I was joking about the other way to do it would be with like smell. You want to go over to the banana fudge cake <laughs> aisle? Yeah. Don't go to the fart aisle. You went too far. You know, <laughs> right. But I, I always think that's how we do it in the shop as well. We color code everything by the, the pedal that it's come out. So like the bin is that color and then the drawers are that color and then the shelf where it goes is that color. So we kind of take the jack hat that, on that approach of like, oh, if we come out with a pedal and it's blue, the parts are in the blue area. It goes on the blue area of the shelf. You know, and then right. the artwork that Jordan designs around it is blue. So like we kind of keep that jack hat, if you will, about that. But I would definitely, when it comes to organization, I would say color is generally one of the fast. It's also universal. Right. Anybody can appreciate it. I know numbers it. are too. And, well, it goes to that. Well, yeah, but you still have to be able to know the numbers. People can see colors and mm-hmm. and know that these are the same. Immediately associated. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you see a symbol, you might, like, like a number four might not read to you if you're familiar with another form of the number four. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to that distill kind of mindset of breaking things down into its simplest forms and making it accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. One quick thing while we're on third man and yellow, black and white, when we were having the final meeting with Jack for the triple graph, we had brought him both versions, the limited edition enclosure and the standard one. Um, So the limited is yellow and the standard is black. And at the time, the limited edition was just all yellow and we had black print on it only. And with the standard, it was just kind of inverted. So black with yellow print. And one of the things that he had said to us was, is there any way that we can integrate white into this? And, you know, I was like, sure. So I made a couple of renderings, send them back and forth. And we ended up adding white to both of the enclosures And it's so funny that we look at this now and we look at like old prototypes and stuff and it's like night and day just by adding that extra color. They sucked. The old ones sucked. It was so bad. So (laughs) what I ended up doing is transferring that to like the box, the the book cover, everything has three colors on it now. And it's so funny because at the time we were just so uber focused on getting the sound right and making sure the mechanical aspects work. But he saw this thing as a whole you know, and really, really looked at it kind of from an outsider. And just that simple integration of that one color really made everything pop. It kind of felt like it was in the 11th hour as well. It's almost like, yeah, it was like 99% done. And it was one of those things where it's like, (laughs) what if we add a little bit of white to this? And it made so much sense. Yeah. Cause we brought them and we did that picture in the blue room, January, right? January of 20, January, uh, 2019, January of no, 2020. 2020. January yes. of 2020, we did that picture in the blue room that's in the book and everything. And at that point, Jordan's art for the box and for the pedals themselves were literally just the black and yellow inverted color scheme. And when we had got back home, Jack was essentially like Jordan said, let's, can we find a way to add white? So he primarily kind of racked his head on it. And I was making some notes on stuff. Cause the thing is, 
when you have a yellow that's pretty much like run-of-the-mill when you think yellow, that's kind of what Third Man's yellow is. It's not like a Dijon or an ochre or anything like that. Like yeah, adding, adding white onto black, cake. Adding white onto yellow can be difficult. Yes. Without strokes mm-hmm. and having black yeah. surround it. So Jordan adding that on there. It's funny, like you said, you look at the old ones and they sucked. Yeah, <laughs> we always make the joke like, "What were we thinking? Only having two colors? Of yeah. course, we needed that third one to bring everything out." It was so simple, but it was so perfect, and it was again a nice example of Jack being hands on with this. You know, yeah, absolutely for the last four years of it, and you know, not just going like, "Yeah, my name's on it. Do whatever." You know, and. That was the cherry on top. Yep. That feedback was definitely monumental. And mm-hmm. I think tying everything together finally, it was a really nice touch. So mm-hmm. kudos, Jack. Nice. You did it, Jack. You did uh, colors. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to just, before we move on to the last one here, to mention you were talking about it's like a pure yellow, right? Mm-hmm. It's like James and I are both visual artists, or we, I, I was, and <laughs> still have some, some knowledge of how that works. And I work in CMYK, you know, in print. And if you were to call that yellow one color, you'd say, you know, why 100? Like, it's the purest form of it. And it is just that color. There's no mixing going on there. It is very, very... I mean, I know that's literally the definition of a primary color, but... It's the why, right? Of why? Of yeah. CMYK. It's right. the why yeah, of why. It's just, yeah. the, just the full 100 there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll move on to the full C. The cyan. Uh, <laughs> cyan 100. <laughs> in uh, Jack White's solo era... His color scheme was blue, white, and black. And this gave a distinct look from the other Jack projects. And his, uh, his touring band was uh, all instructed to dress in blue in some capacity, blue, white, and black. Now uh, They could wear whatever they wanted, but they had to wear that color scheme, the lighting on the stage, the music videos uh, for the most part. Although in back to going back to that YouTube video, which again was quite insightful, <laughs> they do point out that there's the Freedom at 21 video where... There's the bright green car that's zipping around the otherwise blue landscape, which is kind of interesting. Very but, interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. That's something I caught yeah. recent, pretty recently. I was checking it out. And yeah, they definitely deviate away from it a little bit. But It's striking. Yeah. Maybe it's supposed to be jarring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could, it could say something about the mixtures or something. But yeah, that's the last of the primary colors. And yeah, that's the Jack Solo scheme. You know, it's Jack Solo project if it's blue. Mm-hmm. All the vaults, the albums... They're all blue. One of the things that sticks out to me when I think of Jack Solo is the the blue Eddie Van Halen guitar that was um, mm. most recently used on SNL, and we got to we got to see that on one of the tours that we got at Third Man. Yeah, the Wolfgang, right? Uh, yes. Yep. So it's really cool. the The built in kill switch button is blue. The pickups were blue. I think the body was painted black on the version that we saw. But yeah, it was really cool seeing that kind of having the blue integrated in there. And it's also interesting seeing him adopt blue during that era of or this current era of Jack, which did incorporate a lot of country influence in general. And so, which has some somber notes and obviously blue is, you know, a color associated with sadness. Elvis had blue as one of his main colors. So it's interesting that during this act that had a lot of country influence, at least in the first two albums, uh, less so in the, in the third, but kind of focused on blue. Mm-hmm. Well, don't forget, James. What's done is done. done. You know, Ariel still quotes that all the time. That's the only Jack White she quotes. Is is the, uh, something from Boarding House Reach? It's weird. 
move on here to a couple other color-coded, uh, just general things from throughout the the Third Man world. Uh, obviously, we talked about the Blue Room. It's the house stage at Third Man Records in Nashville. The Blue Series singles, which we detail when we went through and did a review of the uh, Blue Series singles book that Ben Blackwell put together. That is a series of singles, all of which uh, seven-inch records, you know, which all feature their part participants posing in front of a blue backdrop on the cover so those are color-coded and boy when you're hunting for those in a record store it's easy to find them lickety split because you can see them from a mile away (laughs) yeah and it's actually quite helpful in a 45 box when you're and now i haven't dug through a 45 box in a calendar year but i can tell you when i was doing it everybody else got their grubby little mitts over other things but when i spotted that blue one i went in there i dove (laughs) i dove for it baby i wonder if the vinyl that's for the blue room is facing towards the blue room at the storefront that'd be it'd be interesting to go up to the uh like one of the uh the cashiers be like hey wait a minute this isn't on the right wall yeah (laughs) but actually mm. yeah you have to push up the glasses when you do james i think you had mentioned this one yeah, we have. Uh, there's the Green Series interviews, which is similar to the Blue Series, but this time in a stylish green, which is mostly about culture and spoken word stuff. We talked about it before, but you know, you have your your Conan O'Brien interview is a part of the Green Series. The auctioneer is a part of the Green Series. It's short lived, not as many, but um, yeah, interestingly color coded as well. That's right. And then Olivia Jean, her color scheme could be interpreted as purple or even pink sometimes, but I've seen it written as plum, particularly when that first solo album, Bathtub Love Killings, came mm-hmm. out. It was described as plum because there was a plum series of records released that uh, had purples hued over, or it was like the, the records themselves were like plum colored. I forget what it was. And then in addition to the Olivia Jean plum series, there was also the uh, Karen Elson had a peach series which i it was like a like rose petals right it was like pink rose petal type of thing for her album release so occasionally other third man acts will be given a color scheme or third man projects will be given a color scheme and so that's it's not unique just to jack projects and then we have a collection here you know that we can just kind of go down the list of a little bit you know we don't have to spend too much time here james do you want to just roll through these yeah uh so you know there are songs throughout Jack White's career that are kind of color centric, but obviously none none as much as the White Stripes kind of were. And they the Stripes in general reference color so often in song and title. But interestingly, that when they reference it, it usually keeps in with the red, black, white color scheme that the Stripes are known for. We have Jimmy the Exploder, which uh, we've talked about uh, previously, but this is from Stripespedia. I'm quoting uh, Jack here. She was playing so childishly. Everyone I'd ever played with were like male drummers. I'd been writing all these childish songs like Jimmy the Exploder from our first album. The story I made up about this monkey who exploded things that weren't the color red. So there's your there's your color connection. So when Meg started playing that way, I was like, man, don't even practice. This is perfect, which is also great about their relationship there. But um, a bizarre story about a monkey exploding things that weren't the color red. Fantastic. Yeah. We have Handsprings, which mentions all of red and white often. I took my girl to go bowling downtown at the red door. I did look up the red door to see if that was a real bowling alley. Could not find it. However, I did find a Wayne State University club that was (laughs) around called the red door. 
but it was like a club where you know bands would play like local acts would play james wound up on a proud boys forum and he's like how did i get here i took my girl to go bowling downtown at the red door after an argument i started because i thought she didn't like me anymore can't help it sometimes i feel pitiful and of course she's so young and beautiful It continues. I could see his face, white flowers. I dropped my red bowling ball through the glass of the machine. So a lot of lot of references to the red and white in there. On the B side of that single, you have Red Death at 614. So you have red in the title there, which is telling a story of strangulation and murder, but with color. So that kind of really goes right for it. Um, I never really dove deep into those lyrics before or thought much of it until I was doing this. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah. What's that she said with her fingers turning blue and her face was turning red? So she was dying from lack of oxygen. It's weird. Uh, Yeah. And then like the next lyric is, I think she's dead or something along those lines. The story is either her father kills her because daddy's writing angel on her forehead or something. It's weird. It's a weird song. I love that song, but it's, it's weird. Anyway, you have, you have that grim use of color with blue. So there, Uh, speaking of blue, we have blue orchid, which you guys have pointed out is completely ruining my, my thesis here. (laughs) Um, We've talked about this in the Kippy Hummy Satan um, episode, but you know, it mentions blue orchids. They're, White flowers that get their color from a dye used by plant breeders. The identity of the dye and the processes are patented, says Ron McHatton, president of the American Orchid Society. Blue is a color that doesn't occur naturally in orchids very often. He added, blue orchid symbolism, orchids in general, stand for beauty, charm, elegance, strength, and peace. And in ancient Greece, they symbolized virility, fertility, and sexuality. The word orchid is derived from the Greek word orchis or testicles. (laughs) 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 Of which the plant's roots are reminiscent. So that's fun. We laughed at that for a bit. (laughs) (laughs) We also have the songs to continue. We won't go into great depth here, but we have White Moon, Black Math, Red Rain, Blackjack Davy, which is kind of, uh, if they're referring to Blackjack or Black Space Jack. I'm not sure. It's a folk song, so I'm not sure. And then Red Bowling Ball, Ruth, as well. Black, got black, black Bat ah, Licorice, like yes. Well. There are some color-based connections in some Jack White songs. And I'm sure we did not name them all, so if you want to write in and tell us the ones we missed, because I'm sure you're screaming it in your cars right now or wherever <laughs> it is. His last you're name. to this. <laughs> Gillis? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess we went this whole time and didn't talk a bit about White as his last name. <laughs> That's right. And then just a couple other colorful connections here. I just wanted to point out that highball stepper 
music video is extremely color-based in the sense that it is... Uh, I forget the name of that liquid. I think Luke Sinclair told us one time, and I, I couldn't find it. Ferrofluid. It's one of my favorite videos. I love that video. Mm-hmm. Nat did that video. Yeah, yeah I think they're old, um, or their prior art director, Nat. I think he directed that video. Really, cool. really cool. He lives here now. Yeah, it's a great one. He lives in this area now. In uh, Boston? So, yep, south of Boston, I think. Boston, Actually, I don't think ferrofluid is the word, Paul. I think we're looking no, for... No, I don't think it is either. No, um, it's it's uh, ketchup is one of these things. I couldn't find it in the email. Somebody sent us an email. Mm-hmm. Hold on. So, at one point, and I looked it up, and I couldn't find it. Gala Minus. Gala, Gala. Fuller's Wet in the Bed. Yeah, I'll... Anyway, keep going. I'll, anyway. Non-Newtonian. That's it. Non-Newtonian. That's Paul, right. did you go online mm. and look up various fluids? He <laughs> <laughs> had to look up what was all covering the triple tremolo. <laughs> there are also mm. tricolor records at uh, Third Man. They do uh, three-way split color records for various things. And then the last little bit of colorful connection I found here, Marco Price claims that she is, quote, a little bit colorblind. The topic came up when discussing comparisons of her and Loretta Lynn, who Margot had read was colorblind, and I couldn't find any corroboration for that on the internet, so we may just be spreading that false rumor that mm. Loretta Lynn is colorblind. Lord knows. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this listing we have here, sound and color. Alex, Jordan, thank you for walking through that with us. That was a lot of fun and, dare I say, insightful. Yeah, that was a blast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Paul, do we want to have them walk through the outro with us? Because that's always fun. You guys want to walk through the link list with us while we do our thanks and stuff? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I already took my headphones off, so I couldn't hear what you were saying. I was halfway out the door. Oh, okay. I was in that. third gear already, and you're like, hey, you guys hey. want to do me? I was living my toe. I was just starting to walk. And Daddy always kept a big stick behind the door just in case somebody was to come in that was drunk on moonshine, you know, and Daddy had to do something about it. And uh, this woman, they called her Old Lady Boyd, she come in and she was telling Mommy about her uh, husband she thinks is going out with this woman in Paintsville. So she rode back with that big stick showing Mommy how she was going out with this woman. So we have some... Patreon patrons that we'd like to thank. Uh, we have, uh, let's see, I'll go bottom bottom to top here. Ashley Forbes, Steady Ashley Goes, Shane Ben Jamson, the Shane boy you've always known, Melinda Endress, you look pretty in your fancy Endress, Elizabeth Myers, rolling in on a burning Myers, Brett Garski, the Brett Three Killed by Garski, Yvette Wilkins, Wilkins on Sunshine, Brenda Englehart, we want to be the boys to warm your Englehart, Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation, Stu Catter, Stu Driver, Julia Hickling, the $3 hat, Meg Melinda Taylor, and send me an angel down, Josh Aiken or Joe Shaken all over, Luke. Sinclair, Luke Me Over Closely, Tam Davis, our third person spirit every week, Michael Brookfield, or the Bone Brookfield, and Derek Forever Ferguson. Thank you to our Patreon patrons for helping us keep the lights on so we can see all these beautiful colors because without the light waves splashing into our eye blobs, we wouldn't be able to see any colors at all. But if you want to see some colors, you could also do so online in a number of ways. You could do so on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash thirdmen. You can uh, find some colors on our Twitter. That's at thirdmencast on Twitter. Tumble on down with us with those colors on thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. I'm going to shoehorn the word colors into all of these. Uh, you can find us on our website. That's www.thirdmenpodcast.com. 
you can email us. That's uh, on our Gmail. That's thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at thirdmen underscore podcast where Paul posts fun pictures and I'm sure colors pertaining to this episode. If you don't want to become a Patreon patron, you can still support us if you'd like by buying some merch. That's bit.ly slash thirdmenmerch. You can find us on Acast. That's where our show is hosted, and I love them. They're great. Uh, I love them. They're special. Uh, you can- Acast is like James's Letterman <laughs> f- box. <laughs> now you have to keep it. That's the worst part. <laughs> uh, yes, no, it's my triple tremolo of my heart. You can uh, find us on YouTube where occasionally I'll do some some visualizers or fun animations. That's youtube.com slash C slash the Third Man Podcast. You can find us there or just search Third Man Podcast. You can rate or just search for that video in colors on YouTube. I hear it's great. I haven't watched it, but people keep asking me to. <laughs> you can rate, review, and subscribe in a simple way by going to rateus.thirdmanpodcast.com. Uh, if you give a five-star review of literally anything, you could just say... You could quote John Locke incorrectly uh, and give five stars, and uh, maybe we'll do something for you. Yeah. We'd also like to thank Jack Fay for our guest edits this week. Thank you, Jack, for editing the episode. It turned out beautiful. You did a fantastic job. And uh, Copper Sound, guys. Where the could people find you? What's that about? Where are you? We're not on the internet. Not on the internet. Yeah, don't care. Get, right get, yes. get them offline, Paul. By, by carrier pigeon. Yeah. Uh, you can find us at coppersoundpedals.com, uh, Instagram at coppersoundpedals, uh, facebook.com slash coppersoundpedals, and Twitter, which does not get much use, but, you know, we're trying. <laughs> it's, uh, at coppersoundfx. Nice. Is anything else coming down the pike for uh, coppersound? Are you guys just going to be... A- toiling away in your shop on that next thousand orders for a while <laughs> probably 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 that swimming in them <laughs> yeah 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 it's gonna be it's gonna be good though we've we finally got really a system down that we're comfortable with where we can you know we're trying to bust out 25 a day which is full from the ground up so as long there's a lot of prep involved with this build but we're um mm-hmm. we're making them and we're we're very grateful and we're thrilled that everybody's perceiving this really well Nice. Awesome. Well, if you guys out there can get a, uh, a hold of a triple graph, do so. It's really fun, and uh, the book and stuff is gorgeous as well. You guys did an amazing job. We did actually in the book focus incredibly hard on color. Yeah, that's something that we we didn't, didn't mention. Really, but we, anytime there was like a, a a text bubble about something relating to the racks, it was either green or copper. If it was relating to third man, it was yellow. If it was relating to like Jack, it'd be blue or like I said, the Jack hat, we kept that on. So, you know, it, so that was, uh, that was fun. It was l- nice living in that world. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> my tea is ready. I have to go. Yeah, I was say. <laughs> Sorry. There's a loon. It's a tree off in my house. <laughs> is that, that I have my teapot connected to a tremolo. So it does that. Like it's probing. Yeah, that, Ariel for Christmas from a, like a work exchange got a bird clock oh. that every hour. Oh no, <laughs> that's great awesome! For podcasting. No, that's amazing. It scares the <laughs> sh- out of us every hour. I bet. We're, I didn't hear it like, last time or at twelve. Yeah. Right? It, oh, it went off. Oh, and it? I, yeah, <laughs> Paul's gonna have some fun editing that. There is, and I hope this hasn't been picking up on my mic. There is in the apartment directly behind me. 
what appears to be a teenage slumber party happening oh, no. uh, where there is a lot of giggling and <laughs> shouting and I think boy talk. Ooh. I think a loon um, might be going off in there. <laughs> yeah. Who is Bradley dating? Yeah. <laughs> he said what? <laughs> this is LA, so probably they mean Bradley Cooper. Yes. <laughs> this is really weird. Like I can see humans and like that's how close I am to this window right wow. now. It's like really creepy. And they're just seeing you stare at them, right? <laughs> yeah, who's that? Who's that white male? He's yeah. 18 to 35. Look at everything. <laughs> All right. We end every episode with, I will be looking for a home inside the color spectrum that is bouncing off of an object and into somebody's eye blobs. And I will be looking for a home inside the triple tremolo. Uh, <laughs> <hope>. <laughs> waiting, just just sitting there waiting. <laughs> and you guys, uh, where will you be looking I'll, for a home? I'll be looking for somebody to share it with me because I'll be alone in my home. Hey. Uh, XF Alex took behind. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, you have to have one. <laughs> <laughs> Insistent. <laughs> I will find myself. At the shop. And that's all I have In to a say. cardboard box. Yes. In a, <laughs> and you may find yourself in David Letterman's <laughs> box. Days go by. I'm sorry. I David always Letterman. turn our talks around into some kind of something's <laughs> something. Uh, this has been fun. Bye, everybody. <laughs> For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on it can be as much or as little as you can swing and all donations are greatly appreciated the last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough but if you would like to help us out that would be amazing all right it's all from me remember you can head to patreon.com slash third men podcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already all right everybody i'll see you on the show And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. 
This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. <laughs> I I have embedded Letterman Fox in this too much to edit it out now. Like that's it's we we sometimes reach an event horizon with jokes where it's like I'll edit it out, but then if it's too pervasive, it has to stay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, that brings us. Moonage Daydream Moonage. by David Bowie. Moonage Daydream by David Bowie. Moonage. Moonage. I couldn't read Moon Age, but I did that. <laughs> In the shop, we call him Doctor Colors. <laughs> That's not. A it joke. is two sides of the. Theo van Deusberg. Deusberg? I think it's Deusberg. How did I get here? Close. There was a... <laughs> it's very close, but that's not for the podcast. There was a, was it a, a white white Panthers association. It was like some, some dump yeah. like that. Anyway, it, it was on my work computer, so I got... Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, it... And then Leah Remini's attached to your leg, like, get me out of here. <laughs> I don't know how much of this we should keep because I hear they're very... Um, Litigious, yeah. Yeah, persistent. Well, 